<laughs> I'll tell you, Pastor Mark is saying right. I went and saw that movie last week, last Sunday. For those of you who don't know it, um, you know, Wyoming is an extremely conservative state, but Jackson, whole Wyoming, and that whole area is extremely, extremely liberal. And that's where, of course, Nancy and Clay live, and they are working together with their church and the local theater. They're wanting to bring that movie there, and, uh, and then just, because, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's not like they have megaplexes there. It's about different things in Jackson, Wyoming, but... Anyway, I believe God's going to use it to touch a lot of people, but also to, to wake up the church. Amen. That's, that's one of my prayers for that, is, is that, that the church, and I think we are, I think the church is being awakened. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, I've really got some things just burning in my heart this morning that I'm excited to, to, to present to you. Um, let's, let's begin with uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. This has been one of our foundational verses, not just for our current study, but for most of the preaching that I've done over the last two decades. Um, Romans 12 and 2 has, has been uh, at, the, at the root of um, so much of what we do here from the pulpit and the classes and the different things that, that we uh, teach and preach. And, um, the Lord has had me, I guess, last six, nine months or so, he's, he's redirected some of the things that I pray frequently for you and for the different men and women that I have opportunity to minister to, um, and that is that he would reveal himself to you in a meaningful way, Amen. in a personal and meaningful way, that he would reveal himself to you in a personal and meaningful way. Matt mentioned my grandfather. That, that, that was what ultimately turned him to salvation late, late, late in life, was that the Lord began to reveal himself to my grandfather in a, in a personal and a meaningful way through gifts of the Spirit. Um, he'd lived in excruciating pain in his shoulder from a construction accident. And uh, you walked in his house, it smelled like liniment, you know, that you know the smell, like, because he just that, was trying to get relief. And um, he had finally agreed to come to a revival service with us. And the evangelist called him out and said, your shoulder has hurt you for so many years, but tonight's your night, Dad. It'll never hurt you again. See, that's God revealing himself to, to my grandfather in a personal and meaningful way. Now, he didn't get born again that night. I mean, I figured he'd get up, you know, go straight to the altar. He didn't. It was actually, I think, a few years later, wasn't it, Mom, when Brother Krim 
wasn't that long, but it wasn't that night. Um, but again, it's, it's, are you, are you following what I'm saying? That some of you who have unsaved loved ones, start praying that, that God would reveal himself to them in personal and meaningful ways. Amen. That they, that their eyes would, would be enlightened and that, and that they would begin to see uh, what they've been blinded to. Because we see that the God of this world, lowercase g-o-d, who is the devil, he's blinded people's eyes. We don't have authority over people. We have authority over the demonic spirits that are trying to influence people. Amen. So, here we are. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We again, have taught extensively on this verse over the years, but we see that for the man or woman who has not been born again, the most extensive and radical transformation that you can ever experience is to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus bought and paid for and now offers to you. And that's when a man or a woman's spirit becomes born again, made completely new and becomes one with God. We then see that this is written to people who have already experienced salvation, and now he's saying that the key to transformation for us is the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind. Because the spirit can be born again, but the mind still, for the most part, work the way it worked and and look at things the way it looked at things before you were born again, and not much then will change in your life reality. So the renewing of the mind is an ongoing progressive work carried out by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God. Amen. As we begin to think like the person we became through the new birth, instead of continuing to think like the person that we were before we were born again. So this is why the renewing of the mind is such a a critical part. And now he's talking about through the the renewing of the mind that you may prove, prove not to God, God doesn't need it to be proven to him, to be, first of all, for it to be proven to you that God's ways are beneficial, well-pleasing, and all-encompassing. But then, so that it might be proven or shown to the world, so that the world might see. If you've ever listened to Brother Jesse Duplantis preach, there's certain things he says over and over and over again, right? And he says, the Jesus in you, the Jesus in me, just might be the only Jesus people ever see. And so for, for us to, you know, have on display in our lives the the beneficial well-pleasing all-encompassing will of God being being expressed being experienced we go back to God bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt a darkness came on Egypt that was so thick you, you could feel it but the Bible says the lights were still on in Goshen it's because God was trying to help the world see the difference between those who belong to him and those who did not. And he still wants the world to be able to see the difference between those who belong to him and those who do not. We should not have the same fears and anxieties that the world has as perilous times increase in this world around us. And the difference should not only be striking, it it should be something that people are curious about in our lives. Why are you not freaking out? Why are you not stressed out? Why why, uh, do you smile when you pump gas, even though it continues to go up in price? Are you you following what I'm saying? 
There was, see, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to fuss at you this morning, but please don't stand around the water cooler at work and gripe about things the way everybody else gripes about them. Right? Amen. Faith children of a faith God. Faith always has a good report. And, and these are ways that we're to let our light shine. You know, where, where we have a, a different report. We have a different perspective. We, we, we have something positive and encouraging and enlightening to say about the things that are going on in the world around us. Instead of just saying what everybody else in the world is saying. Again, proving the good, acceptable, perfect will of God, the, the, the beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing will of God for our lives. And so this is, this, this is the, the, the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind. Now, we've said, again, in our study, just doing a little bit of review, adding some things to it as we go, a reconditioned mind will always produce a transformed life. A, a reconditioned mind will always, not sometimes, always, every single time, cause and effect will always produce a transformed life. So if, if there's areas of your life that you are in need of transformation, you want to see some positive change in your finances, some positive change in your marriage, some positive change in, in your children, some positive change in, in uh, your efforts as a parent or as an employee or as an employer or, or, or whatever, the way to experience that kind of transformation begins with a re- reconditioned or a renewed mind. So many times we try to manipulate change. We, we, we look for, uh, you know, three steps or just do this. And that's why so many different fads come and go in our, in our world is because we, we're looking for ways to change our lives outwardly without ever looking inwardly. And so a reconditioned mind will always produce a transformed life. Now, the word of the Lord came to us announcing his desire to produce a significant shift in our lives. And that's not just in our finances because we were in the course of a study on giving and receiving that we're going to circle back around to. I don't know when, but we're going to circle back around to that. I know that in my heart. But the word of the Lord came again announcing his desire to produce a significant shift in our lives and not just a significant shift in our finances, but in every area of our lives. And so a significant shift in our lives then requires a significant shift in our thinking. I want to, de- I want to develop that thought um, a little further this morning. Because a significant shift in our lives will not happen, will not happen, no matter how much we desire it, no matter how much we want it. A significant shift in our lives, in our life reality, it will not happen unless and until a significant shift occurs in our thinking. When we say it requires it, that, that means it's not possible without it. Now, we've said that we have all experienced uh, incremental increase in different areas in our lives, incremental improvement, incremental change. And while we are thankful for that, the word of the Lord to us is not incremental shift, not incremental change, but significant shift, significant change, where we're talking about, uh, you know, bridging a major gap. We're talking about uh, uh, significant, again, increase in our finances, significant increase in our emotional well-being, significant increase in levels of peace and joy and effectiveness and victory and success and freedom, all, all of these different areas and aspects of our lives. And this is the word of the Lord for us. So we said that an incremental shift 
in our life experience occurs because of incremental changes in our thinking. I'm trying to help you see this. Sometimes we don't, we don't um, connect those two together. And, you know, that to me is extremely important. I will often ask uh, when I teach classes down at the foundry, you know, if, if, if your life is better today than it was six weeks ago. And just about everybody in the room will raise their hand. Then I ask them, do you know why? Because, see, if, if you don't know why things are better, are you, are you following what I'm saying? You know, uh, th- there's a, a gentleman that made this statement. It's not a, it's not a Bible verse, and I'm, I'm not even sure it's true, but it's, it's, it's interesting. He said, the only thing worse than not making progress is making progress and not knowing how you made it. Well, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but still, there's something about understanding how we're making progress. And so even if it's incremental change, even if it's incremental improvement, it's because there has been incremental change in your thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So to the extent your mind is renewed, to that same extent, your life reality will reflect that and and your experience and expression of life will change. So if an incremental shift occurs because of incremental changes in our thinking, then what will a significant shift in our thinking produce? I'm, I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to uh, get you stirred up a little bit, if, you know, if, if I could. Don't, don't, uh, sometimes I feel like I've got to get loud and boisterous to stir you up. I'm just trying to, amen, let the truth stir you up this morning. So again, if an incremental shift will produce... Uh, uh, if an incremental change in our thinking will produce an incremental shift, then what would a significant shift in our thinking produce? It would produce a significant shift. Now, I'm trying to build up to a certain point, so just, again, please stay with me. I'm going to do this review as quickly as I can. Um, But in the course of our study over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how we experience the world. Remember now, how we experience the world. As long as we think biblically the bible teaches as long as we think understand and speak like a child we'll experience the world from a child's perspective galatians chapter 4 teaches us that as long as we think understand and speak like a child we will live like a slave instead of the master we truly are so now notice we're again we're talking about um a shift from Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, understood as a child, I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So this is a, the biblical example that we've been looking to uh, for what a significant shift actually looks like. You know there's a big difference between a child and a, and a full-grown adult. And, and so we, we kind of go from, let me, you know, people develop over time, right? You, you incrementally go. You know, I watch my children go from infants to toddlers, just starting school, and, and next thing you know, they're adults, right? Um, but it happened over a long period of time. The, 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 the Greek verb tenses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I understood like a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, he's not talking about something that occurred over a, a long, extensive period of time. He's talking about something that happened in an instant, a significant shift, where one day he thought like a child, the next day he thought as a full-grown adult. 
Only God can do that, by the way. If you hadn't figured that out by now, right, we, we've been talking about this on Wednesday night. We're always looking for what we can do, you know, and, and maybe if we can figure out how to do it, then we just do it without God and go on be about our way, you know. And none of, none of God's ways work without him. You still with me this morning? Okay. So Galatians 4, again, as long as we think, understand, and speak like a child, we'll live like a slave instead of the master we truly are. Then we talked about the disciples and how Jesus told them on multiple occasions he would be killed, he would be buried, he would be dead for, count them, three days, but then he would rise from the dead. He told them that over and over again. But his words never changed the way they saw the situation, how they viewed it, how they saw it, determined how they experienced it. That is so important for you to see, because we're talking about a significant shift in the way we see things, equaling a significant shift in the way we experience life. Remember we said this, we, we keep wanting everybody and everything around us to change. God, when are you going to change her? When are you going to change him? When are you going to change this? When are you going to change that? My friend, let him change you. Let, let him change the way you see him, her, this, and that. And let him change the way you experience it. You know, we, we want to change the world, and we, we can't put up with somebody cutting in front of us in line at the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're like, who do they think they are? Well, they opened that new register. They knew I was in this line before them. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Amen. How you experience it. That's, that's what Father can... Oh my gosh, what a, thank you, Lord Jesus, what a significant shift. So Jesus told them, and they heard him. But his words never changed the way they saw the situation. How they viewed it then determined how they experienced it. So we asked the question last week, if they had looked at the situation based upon what Jesus said about it, their experience would have been completely different than the one they suffered through. How about this? Instead of hiding in fear for their lives, they would have thrown a three-day watch party at the tomb. They could have been there. Could have been there when it happened. Why are you getting emotional, Pastor Mark? Because of all the things we've missed out on over the years. Because we weren't where we were supposed to be when we were supposed to be there. Because we didn't see things the way we were supposed to see them. Mm. We also compared that to Abraham last week, right? And him having received Isaac raised from the dead in a figure. He perceived the situation completely different and therefore experienced it completely different from the way a lot of people assume he did. I believe it's a tremendous insult to Abraham for preachers to stand in the pulpit and talk about how afraid he was when he went to offer Isaac, how he agonized over it and how he 
you know, was in such fear. And I, are you, no. No. Remember, he had already received Isaac raised from the dead in a figure. That is what Jesus was trying to plant in the hearts of the disciples for them to be able to see him raised from the dead before he ever went to the cross. For them to know how it was going to turn out before it ever got started. And did Jesus not say the Holy Spirit would show you things to come? If he'll show you things to come, do you not think he would prepare you for what's to come? There are things that are coming, my friend. I'm, according to Jesus, I'm not a doomsday preacher. I'm not a, a woe is me preacher. But Jesus told us perilous times would come and they would be like a, a woman in labor. The contractions would, would, would be uh, the different events that we see happening in the world around us. And what we know about a woman in labor is that the contractions become more intense and more frequent the closer you come to the end. I'm not telling you this to scare you. But something worse than COVID is going to come to this world one day. I'm not, I'm not telling you that to scare you. I'm just, I'm just telling you based on what the Word of God says. We don't have to participate. We don't have to participate. Now, you can disagree with me if you want to, and I'll be there waiting on you if, if you insist, but I believe the church is going to be out of here before the tribulation. I'm sorry, before the great tribulation. There's a difference between tribulation. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation. We're experiencing tribulation right now. But there's coming great tribulation. And the, and the church is, matter of fact, not only do I believe we'll be out of here, I believe the church is the only thing holding that back based on what the Word says. I don't have time to teach on that this morning. But the point I'm trying to make is Jesus, even in the days while He was here upon the earth as a man, was trying to prepare you and me right now for the days that are ahead. How about this one, John 16, 33? In this world you will have tribulation. Bummer, Jesus. No, no, but see, he didn't stop talking. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4, we often say, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. That's the last part of the verse. The first part of the verse is this. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Not will overcome. You have overcome. Why can he say you have overcome something you haven't even faced yet? Why can he say you've already overcome something that you don't even know is coming yet? He's, he says you've overcome it because he's overcome it and he's your victory. And greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. But are we going to be like the disciples? and Are we going to hole up in a dark room somewhere? Or are we going to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven? Now, the Bible says that, that wisdom is in the heart of a man. It says of Jesus that in him are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and his spirit is, is in whom? It's, it's in me and you, right? So, if all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid in Christ and Christ is in you, then that means all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in you. That's why the Holy Spirit through John in 1 John says that you know all things and have no need that any man teach you. 
Well, he's not saying, you know, fire all the teachers. My job, if we're going to just really be plain about it, is to come before you with something that the Holy Spirit is saying to all of us and to help encourage and inspire and motivate you to focus in on some key themes and thoughts and scriptures and truths so that the Holy Spirit, he's, I'm not your teacher, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. Are you see what I'm saying? And, and so my prayer is that he uses me and, 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 and any other man or woman that would stand in front of you to teach you, right? But that ultimately you recognize that he's the teacher. And so he says that, that wisdom is in you and it has to be drawn out of you like water from a well. Right? In the same way that discipleship is not about becoming something you're not, discipleship is about discovering who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. So many times we look at discipleship as, let me go to these discipleship classes to become something like me. No, no. Amen. Remember what the Lord told me? He said that I, I, was, a, I was put on this earth as an author, and I would have been an author my whole life if I never wrote a single book. I was put on this earth as a pastor, and if I'd have done something with my life other than pastoring, I'd have lived my whole life and never pastored or never taught the scriptures, or, but, but it's who he made me to be, right? So it's not about becoming, it's about discovering. And, and so I think it would help us if we looked at learning like that. Everything I'm telling you right now, you already know. You may not know that you know it, but you already know it. Come on now. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And, if, and if, if, I'm, if I am yielded to the Holy Spirit correctly, the things that I'm saying out of my mouth to you right now are causing things on the inside of you to fire off. Something on the inside of you saying, yes, I don't even know what he's saying, but yes. Right? That's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who's leading and guiding us into all truth. And there's a pathway, amen, there's an order to these things. So again, the Bible says wisdom is in the heart of a man, and it must be drawn out. There are different ways that it's drawn out. What I'm doing right now is one of the ways of drawing it out. Counseling is one of the ways of, of drawing wisdom out of a person. I've actually done this before. Somebody sitting in front of my desk asking me questions that I knew they knew the answer to. I stood up, asked them to come sit in my chair, I went and sat in their chair. I said, now tell me what I'm about to tell you. Because they already knew. Matter of fact, if you listen to yourself, if you listen to yourself, you are constantly saying what you need to do. Man, I need to lose a few pounds. Man, I need to, I need to, I because you already know. Another way is by meditating the Word of God. When you take a truth from the Scriptures and you begin to deeply meditate upon it, you begin to think into it, you, 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 you begin to, to set your heart and mind, you begin to mutter it to yourself, you begin to ask the Lord questions about it, what that does, you, you start your thoughts in motion in a certain direction and the Holy Spirit comes right alongside you and He begins to guide your thoughts and He begins to speak to you. And he begins to open up the scriptures and the truth of the scriptures to you. This is why the world has tried to steal meditation from the church and has tried to make the church think that if we meditate, we're practicing some kind of Eastern religion. Well, first of all, Jesus ministered in the East. The cradle of civilization is in the East. But we're not doing what the world it, it, it does. The world's doing what we should be doing. 
just meditating, muttering, deep thought on, on certain truths, pondering thoughts, questioning thoughts. And, and again, once we break beneath the surface, I heard Dr. Rick Renner explain it this way. He said, it's like a scuba diver that goes backwards out of a boat. There's one point of entry into the water, but once he goes beneath the surface, it opens up a whole new world for him. And if you'll begin to meditate one verse like that, it's like plopping into the depths of God's wisdom. And now you use that one verse as, a, as an entry point, and now he begins to open up a whole world of understanding for you. Amen begin to see things differently you begin to see things differently now throughout the course of, of this current leg of our journey together where we've been talking about this significant shift I've, I've been searching for a word and I don't know how to put that into English but um, God is a word God if you don't know that words are important words mean things Words are so important, the Bible says that you will give an account one day for every idle word, every word that you spoke without any seemingly purpose or meaning behind it. So words are, are important. I'm not here to, you know, we do almost a two-hour class on words and discipleship class, but words are important to us and should be important to us because they're important to God. And, and words are containers that carry meaning. And there's a word that I'm just meditating, and, and I'll tell you where I settled but I knew that it wasn't, wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but is the word perceive. We've used that word perceive uh, the last few times that we've been together. And, and perceive, by definition, is a combination of being aware of and at the same time conscious of. So you can be aware of something, but in the moment not be conscious of it. The disciples were aware that Jesus said he would die and three days later raise from the dead. But in the heat of the moment, they had lost consciousness. Uh, in, in other words, it, their, their, their consciousness, their, you know, they weren't conscious of it, but instead they were conscious of his death. They were conscious of their grief. They were conscious of their sense of loss. They were conscious of their sense of regret. And, and that tended to wash over and overwhelm what he had said and, and basically make it a non-factor for them when it should have been the factor in their lives. Just like things that he said to you and me if we're not careful, diagnoses and symptoms and time and frustration can, can wash over what God has said to us because the enemy's trying to make it a non-factor when what he said to, to you and me should be the factor, the most important factor, the only factor for that matter um, in, in our lives in, in, in understanding perception of a situation. And so this word perceive, it, it, it's kind of like the word that we've used, but I'm like, Lord, I know there's something bigger here. And so the other thing, meditating, I didn't say this one, but praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit is, is another way because when you pray in the spirit, you're, you're bringing forth from what's inside of you out of you. And so meditating and praying in the spirit, and, and I've been doing this long enough to know that if, if I just continue to fellowship with the Lord and meditate and listen to him. And so the, the word that we've been looking for, and I don't want you to, to be honest with you, when he first dropped this word uh, into my mind from my spirit, I thought, nah, I don't, oh, you, Lord, you sure? I mean, I was like, you know, I, as is the case with, with anything he tells me, I start to search it out, okay? And so <clears throat> the specific 
an important word that he brought out of me, and I'm going to put it on the screen this morning, is the word worldview. Now, that almost sounds like, you know, some type of humanistic word or, you know, something that the world would use. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's part of the problem is we've, we've let the world have the concept of worldview and the church has adopted the worldview of the people in the world instead of the worldview that Jesus had and that he desires for you and me to have, okay? Now, worldview. What is worldview? Your worldview is perception on steroids, okay? I believe the significant shift that Father wants to bring forth in our lives goes directly to a significant shift in our worldview, okay? Now, we've said throughout the course of our study that a reconditioned mind will always produce a transformed life. I've preached for decades about the importance of renewed or reconditioned mind. I believe renewing our minds is one of the main purposes of discipleship. Discipleship is about a lot of things, and one of the key things discipleship is about is about the renewing or the reconditioning of our minds, where we're bringing our thoughts into agreement with and into alignment with Jesus, and that's where the phrase comes from that he shared with me many years ago, Lord, what's the most important thing I could ever tell anybody? And he said, tell them, agree with me, and agree with me quickly. Agree with God and agree with him quickly. One of the issues that we have in, in, in the church today is that our worldview does not agree with Father's worldview. How he sees things, how he sees people, how he views situations in the world is not how we see them, it's not how we view them. So I believe the renewing of our minds is one of the main purposes of discipleship, but I also believe that, let's see, I start looking at the clock and I start, amen. A few more minutes, I know we've got communion. Yes, yes. Man, you, this is so important. I got to get you enough of this so you can start praying immediately about this, okay? All right? So let me go back to it. So, but what then does it mean to have a renewed or reconditioned mind? And the more I, I'm seeing from the Lord about this, the more I'm seeing that it's, it, it's a lot more than what we've previously considered. Let me say it that way. A reconditioned mind or a renewed mind means more than thinking differently about a few things. Okay. A renewed mind, as important as this is, is more than seeing God in a different light or thinking differently about God. And as important as this aspect is, and these are things that we've taught on over the years, seeing yourself, thinking about yourself differently. Thinking about yourself the way God thinks about you. Seeing yourself the way God sees you. Again, all of these are key factors in, in, in this whole idea of a renewed or a reconditioned mind. But I believe ultimately a reconditioned mind is the total transformation of your worldview. Okay? A total transformation of your worldview. So I pray that you're not turned off by the terminology. I was initially... Worldview is something we hear from the world more than from the church. Maybe you've heard this expression, a Christian worldview. Anybody ever heard that one? A Christian worldview. Well, they have a Christian worldview. Here's the problem with a Christian worldview. 
the worldview that Christians supposedly have is something that the world, <laughs> the world is, is one that decides what a Christian worldview is. Let me cut to the chase, okay? We don't need a Christian worldview. We need a Jesus worldview. There's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference between viewing this world according to what modern day world says a Christian is versus viewing this world the way the creator of this world, the savior of this world, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ views this world the way he views people. Let me tell you what this, this, this world needs. It needs people on this planet who view other people the way Jesus has always viewed them. Where we see people the way he sees them. Moms, dads, let me tell you one of the most important uh, shifts in your parenting that you could ever make is for you to see your children the way Jesus sees them. You never call them stupid another day in their lives. You would never tell them they're good for nothing another day in their lives. Stirred up about this. All right, now. We need a worldview that is shaped by the Word of God. We need to view the world and our place in it based upon what our Father has clearly stated in the life example of His Son, Jesus. A worldview that is based upon things like covenant and kingdom and blessing. Now, I'm going to say this last part, and then we're going to have communion. We're going to pray and have communion. So, before we look more closely at what a worldview is, would you agree with me that Jesus viewed the world much differently than everyone around him? Would you agree that Jesus looked at people and situations in a different way than everyone else. Are you seeing this now? This is, this is what we mean by worldview. It's simply put, your worldview is how you see the world. It's how you see your place in the world. What we're going to learn next week is that your worldview determines, it informs, doesn't just influence, it predetermines how you're going to think and how you're going to act in situations before they unfold in your life. That's how powerful your worldview is. It's based upon a lot of things. Your worldview is determined by a lot of things. It's determined by your experiences, by your upbringing. It's, it's determined by, one of the things that, that was interesting to me as I was researching this is that your worldview is, is determined by the stories that you've heard and the, and the stories that you've lived. That's why God tells stories. It's true stories, but he tells stories because stories are engaging. They draw you in. They're impactful. But he wants his stories to shape your worldview, not the world's stories. Would you agree that this different way of viewing things was critical to Jesus' success in life and the ultimate fulfillment of his God-given destiny? See this, right? Let me, say it a, let me say it a simpler way. He could never do what God put him on this earth to do 
if he didn't see things differently than the world he was in and had been assigned to change. He had a, he had a different view of things, a different worldview. Let me ask the question a different way. What if Jesus looked at everything the same way everyone else looked at it? What if he saw impossibility right alongside everyone else who saw impossibility? When they said, there's never been a man that we know of born blind that was healed, and Jesus said, oh, nobody told me that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Whew, I got... I got carried away with myself there for a minute, and I thought because people who could see and lost their sight, and now God is healed, that he could heal somebody who's never seen, but you set me straight. Are you, do, you, do you see what I'm saying here? No, he, the, 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 the common worldview was this has never been done, therefore it can't be done. You see, Jesus' view of the world that he found himself in was not shaped by the world he found himself in. His view of the world that he found himself in was shaped by the world he came from. Now here's the thing. Here's the crux of the Jesus revolution. Are you ready? The only way the body of Christ is ever going to do in this world what we've been left here to do is if we start seeing this world the way Jesus sees it. If we allow him to help us look at this world the way he looks at it, are you, are you following what I'm saying? One of the, one of the, the things that we've been, in, and it's been a theme for weeks now on Wednesday night, is this tendency that we have to substitute one thing in place for another when, when we don't quite have this figured out or we think it requires too much of us, we look, start looking for a shortcut or something we can compensate or you know, we've been looking at different things that we, we have weak and wavering faith, and so we try to compensate this or that but to make up for it and somehow let God, you know, because we've done it, look at what we've done, you know. And I, I think, you know, the, the church, we've tried, I don't, listen, hear my heart, spirit, not the letter, okay? We've tried all kinds of programs and games and gimmicks and, and religion and pro- preying on people's sense of guilt and I mean just this whole gambit of different things that the church has tried over the years to make a mark to make an impact on this world things that Jesus never told the church to do but all of those things are substitutes for what the world is really hungry for and looking for and that's the real Jesus and he's made it so And he desires for them to see him in you. Amen. Father, thank you for what you're saying to us and the challenges, Lord, that you are presenting to us, Lord, the the dilemma that you want to help each one of us break out of and, and overcome. And Father, I thank you for blessing and for imparting, Lord, and through your word and through the Holy Spirit, enabling each person listening to me right now to have a Jesus worldview. Father, that, that his story is our story. <laughs> Lord, that, 
that, that his experiences become our experiences. That, Lord, his upbringing, his, his origin become our origin. Lord, that we, we see ourselves as men and women born of the Spirit, born from above, born of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, filled with the Spirit made right with you and right standing with you having an open line of communication with you, Father, where you're telling us what to say and what to do, where to go and, and, and who to speak to, and, Lord, who to heal and who to cast demons out of. Lord, all, all of these things, Father, that, that we just look at Jesus and, and, and tend to write off as, well, that's just Jesus being Jesus, without ever understanding that beneath all of those thoughts and all of those actions was a view of humanity and a view of this world and a view of his place in this world, his role in this world, Father, that each one of us, each one of us needs to see and see more clearly. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our, in our church, in our church family. I thank you for what you're doing, Lord, in our communities. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing, uh, Lord, in this country and even around the world. Father, I thank you that a great awakening is being stirred and I believe, Father, that like the judgment that is to come, it's beginning in the house of God, but it's not going to be contained within any building. And I thank you, Father, for, Lord, the, the day where we will see uh, nations come to you. Nations come to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm going to ask our uh, Matt, Vanessa, and Daniel to come. If the men who will be serving communion, if they will come, I appreciate your uh, patience this morning and endurance. Amen. Um, as they...